Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Our conversation today will update you on some recent developments within the Beltway and beyond. Joining me once again for the conversation, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C., Shane, great to be with you as always. Thank you for dropping by and looking forward to our conversation today. Thanks, Dan. Thank you for having me back on this Friday and uh, looking forward to a good weekend, but uh, there's still a lot to talk about. Absolutely. So maybe with that, Shane, we can begin with a couple of geopolitical topics, the first being the ongoing Russia-Ukraine war, which we have covered many times here on the podcast. A lot of recent developments that have been making headlines, and this ranges from concerns over ammo shortages to a potential pathway for Ukraine to join NATO. So a lot going on here. What's the latest and what are some highlights you can share with us? You're right. There is... uh plenty going on here. You know, uh, there was just a NATO summit in Vilnius, Lithuania, which was productive on certain levels. You know, um, Turkey uh, finally removed its opposition to Sweden joining NATO. So, you know, Sweden joining NATO is um, quite momentous. But on the flip side, you know, um, there's still obstacle for Ukraine to join NATO. And I think President Biden is concerned that that will essentially join, uh, um, really propel, you know, essentially World War Three because of, uh, you know, NATO's stance about defending each other and, you know, bringing NATO into the war more directly and NATO members into the war more directly. So, um, you know, I think President Biden has said essentially, you know, Ukraine will be ready to join after the war. So, you know, that is a, a notable development that um, President Zelensky of Ukraine is not happy about. But, you know, on the flip side there, uh, President Biden has delivered cluster munitions to Ukraine, which I believe Ukraine started using yesterday. Cluster munitions are, you know, controversial uh, across the world. You know, there are countries who have outlawed it because, you know, they're concerned about the impact, especially if they're used too close to civilian populations. The reality is, is that Russia has used cluster munitions against Ukraine. So their threat to fight back and use cluster munitions if Ukraine um, uses cluster munitions is somewhat hollow because they've already cross that threshold. So, you know, we'll see what kind of impact this has, uh, Ukraine's use of them, uh, as they just started using, I think, yesterday. So, um, but it is notable and could really, you know, um, be a real impact and push back on Ukraine, especially as, excuse me, push back on Russia, especially as Ukraine is, you know, in the midst of their counteroffensive. Interesting to see how this all impacts the trajectory of the war. A lot of complexities here, as you had outlined for us, Shane. So thank you for bringing us up to speed on the latest. And of course, we'll continue to follow the developments here very closely. Something else we've been covering late here on the podcast, notable state visits of world leaders to the U.S. And that actually continued this week. We did see that Israeli President Isaac Herzog, he did deliver an address to a joint session of Congress, 
which was notable. What's the nature of this particular visit by President Herzog, and what are some takeaways from his address to Congress? Yeah, you know, this is noteworthy uh, that President Herzog not only came to the U.S., but addressed uh, Congress. This is only, I think, the second time the president of Israel has address Congress. You know, the Prime Minister of Israel, which is actually a little bit more of an important role because the President role in Israel is somewhat ceremonial, may maybe more noteworthy, but given the timing, everything going on, I think this is important uh, that uh, Herzog came and spoke to Congress. There were um, a few members uh, who boycotted, um, five progressive members, uh, I believe, uh, boycotted and did not uh, show up. You know, this isn't the first time you've seen members of Congress boycott uh, some foreign dip, uh, diplomats' uh, speech to Congress. But the timing is interesting because, you know, it wasn't, uh, it was only a few days ago that uh, Congresswoman Jayapal, um, who, uh, who called Israel a racist state. So the timing kind of was important and noteworthy. And President Herzog kind of took on this, you know, recognizing that, you know, there is criticism, but amongst friends, it, it, it's important to have a level of respect for each other. And, you know, I think he, he effectively uh, took this on head on. It was a very well-received speech. You know, he got standing ovations from both sides of the aisle um, numerous times. Um, you know, he gave some praise to President Biden for pushing back on anti-Semitism. I think this is uh, was important, you know, given the larger context of the U.S.-Israel relationship. You know, it, it it still remains strong, but it's not as strong as it was, you know, a year or two ago. And I, I think there are a lot of um, elected officials that are um, uh, concerned with Prime Minister Netanyahu's position and expansion in, in Palestinian territory. So. You know, um, President Biden signaled that uh, Prime Minister uh, Netanyahu is welcome to visit, and I believe they'll have um, a, a visit at some point this year, later in the fall. So, you know, positive developments here um, through what may be called a little bit of a rough, rough patch in, in the relationship. But I think, you know, um, when you take into account um, how well-received this speech was, and also Congress passed a resolution, um, you know, uh, um, really, really trying to reiterate the strength of the relationship and downplay those com comments by uh, Congresswoman Jayapal. I, I think, you know, this was a positive development in the U.S.-Israel relationship. If we stick with Capitol Hill, we are currently tracking the progress of the annual national defense bill, which has been taken up recently by the Senate. Now, this is following some controversy from within the House of Representatives. So I'm curious as to what are the points of impasse at the moment and what might be the timeline at this point for the bill ultimately hitting President Biden's desk? Yeah, I think the background here uh, to first note is that the National Defense Authorization uh, Act uh, is one of the most bipartisan bills in Congress. It has a almost 60-year streak of being passed every single year and getting to the president's desk. And I, I think that is an incredible precedent um, and that will continue. Um, but, you know, the House passage, which was on a partisan line, um, really kind of, you know, shifts momentum a little bit. But I think Congress is going to get over that because the reality is, is 
for anything to pass the Senate at this point, it needs to be bipartisan. So I think the Senate is going to take a different tack than the House and reject probably the amendments uh, that uh, many look at as controversial. And, and these amendments would, um, you know, uh, these amendments that the House included rescind um, reimbursement for service members, members who um, uh, attain travel uh, for um, um, reproductive health care. Um, they also limit access to gender-affirming care for transgender troops and end various diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives in the Department of Defense. That is not going to happen in the Senate. So I think the Senate will end up with, you know, maybe we'll call it a more traditional uh, National Defense Authorization Bill that really focuses on, um, you know, uh, funding for troops, funding for um, Department of Defense operations, and trying to figure out, you know, do we need to invest more in shipbuilding or in um, munitions for the battlefield, et cetera, those types of issues. So, you know, I think the, the controversial amendments slow down the process a little bit. But, you know, the fact that the Senate is already taking this up um, so quickly after the House passage, you know, kind of signals that they're trying to get uh, this through the Senate before August. And then, you know, in August, you know, staffers from both the House and Senate uh, defense committees can kind of start to hash out the differences. And, you know, I, I think we're on a path that sometime in the fall, this will get to the president's desk. And, and it will probably look more like that bipartisan uh, National Defense Authorization Act that we're used to seeing uh, over the past almost six decades now. Well, this is one that we'll continue to track in the weeks to come, though. Thank you, Shane, for level setting where it stands today and some highlights of what the bill contains as well. So thank you, Shane, as always, for dropping by the podcast and keeping our listeners informed on a range of topics around the world and, of course, within our own borders. And I do look forward to catching back up with you again next week, though. Wish you a great weekend. Thank you, Dan. Good to be with you. Hope uh, you have great weather this weekend to enjoy. Thank you, Shane. Appreciate it. Again, today we have been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. I do want to point out to our clients of UBS listening in, if you would like to receive the latest copy of the Washington Weekly publication, you can, of course, contact your UBS financial advisor. The publication can also be located up on UBS.com slash Washington Weekly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy. 